Good morning. This morning's scripture lesson is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to reside there as an alien, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know well that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you. So that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared on your account. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When the officials of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female slaves, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and be gone. And Pharaoh gave his men orders concerning him, and they set him on his way with his wife and all that he had. The word of God for the people of God. I never knew my great-grandpa Peters. He passed away before I was born, but I heard stories about him growing up. We used to go to family gatherings, and people would gather around, and they would tell stories about the old days, and that's how I learned about my, my great-grandfather. In my mind, he was this, this larger-than-life sort of figure. My great-grandfather lived a, a remarkable life. He arrived in America in 1911. In Greece, his name was Stephanos Patrikiou, but when he stepped off the boat in New York City, he became Stephen Peters. And when he, when he arrived in New York City, my great-grandfather didn't speak a word of English, but he had a, a note pinned to his lapel like Paddington Bear, and the note didn't, didn't say very much. It, it simply said his name, and then it gave an address in Pierre, South Dakota. And somehow that note was enough to get my great-grandfather all the way out to South Dakota. He made his way across half of the country. He, he got to South Dakota where he had some family. He started working for the railroad. He, uh, he was not a big man, my great-grandfather, but he could swing a hammer and lay down railroad track like, like nobody's business. Now, eventually he got married. Uh, my great-grandfather and my great-grandmother had 11 children. That's a lot of mouths to feed. And when my great-grandfather needed to, to find a little extra money to put food on the table, he would challenge people to spike-driving competitions. And he always bet on himself, and my great-grandfather always won. The family legend is that my great-grandfather never lost a spike-driving contest to man or to machine. 
He worked his way up through the railroads until eventually he was a supervisor over a great big section of railroad track north of the city of Chicago. He was an American immigration success story. Growing up, in my mind, he was this, this heroic, towering figure, sort of a combination of, of Paul Bunyan and John Henry and Paddington Bear. Growing up, I, was, I loved to hear these stories about my great-grandfather. I was, I was proud to share his name. But then this summer, I heard a story about my great-grandfather that I never heard before. Back in July, I was at a family gathering, and people were eating hot dogs, and they were telling stories about the old days. And somebody mentioned, somebody said something about my great-grandfather's terrible temper. I never heard about my great-grandfather's terrible temper, and so I asked, I said, what do you mean when you talk about great-grandpa's temper? And then my uncle, my father's brother, he told this story about my great-grandfather that I'd never heard before. The story involved my grandfather. My grandfather was the third oldest of those 11 children. In the Peters family, as soon as you were old enough, big enough, strong enough to swing a hammer, you were expected to go to work. And so every morning, the, the Peters family would gather in the kitchen, and then they would go out to wherever the work site was where they were laying down track for that day. My grandfather's older brothers didn't mind working on the railroad, but, but my grandfather hated it. What my grandfather wanted to do, what my grandfather loved to do, was to play baseball. Again, my grandfather wasn't a big guy, but he was a gifted athlete. And every day at quitting time, he would run and grab a glove, and then he would go and find a, a ball game somewhere, and he would play. He would play baseball until it was too dark to see outside. My grandfather got himself on some sort of a local team, and one day they were scheduled to play in some sort of a, of a big game. The problem was that the game was scheduled for the afternoon. The game was scheduled for, for before quitting time. And so that afternoon, my grandfather went up to my great-grandfather and said, I'm leaving work early today. I'm going to go and play in a ball game. And my great-grandfather could not wrap his mind around the idea of leaving work early to go and play a game. He became angry. He said to my grandfather, he said, if you leave today, don't plan on coming back tomorrow. There won't be a job for you when, you when you show up tomorrow. That was the wrong thing to say to my grandfather. He had a little bit of a temper himself. My grandfather said, that's fine, I quit. And then he went and played in the game. Now, the next morning, everybody gathered in the kitchen to get ready to go out to the work site. Everybody except for my grandfather. For the first time in his life, my grandfather slept in. He stayed in bed upstairs. And that caused my great-grandfather to fly into a murderous rage. My great-grandfather started casting around for some sort of an implement, a, a belt or a broom. And finally, he landed upon a, an axe handle. My grandfather's brother saw what was about to happen, and so he went flying up the stairs and rousted my grandfather out of bed. He said, you better get out of here quick. And just as my great-grandfather burst into the room with the axe handle in his hand, my grandfather went flying out the window of the second story, and, and he ran. My grandfather took off, and he never came back. They didn't speak to each other for months. It was years before the two of them patched things up. That, my uncle said, that's what we mean when we talk about your great-grandfather's terrible temper. It was not an easy story to hear. I don't like, like hearing about my great-grandfather's terrible temper. I didn't like the image of my great-grandfather bursting into the room and chasing my grandfather with an axe handle in his hand. I don't like to think that Peters's could be capable of these, these sorts of things. It was not an easy story to hear, and it changed the way that I think about my great-grandfather. It changed the way that I, I look at him. I don't think of him as a, a mix of Paul Bunyan and John Henry and Paddington Bear anymore. Now when I think of my grandfather, I see that he was, he was a, a remarkable person, but even so, he was a human being. 
with weaknesses and vulnerabilities. He was a human being who struggled with the pressure of being a stranger in a foreign land. He was a human being just like everybody else. I'm still proud to have his name, but now, now I know the truth about my grandfather. It wasn't easy to hear that story. Just like it's not easy to hear the story in this morning's scripture reading. So in today's scripture reading, we have a story of one of the heroes, one of the towering figures in the Old Testament, this man, this man named Abram. If you grew up going to Sunday school, then you know a little bit about the, the story of Abram. Your Sunday school teachers would have, should have told you a little bit about Abram. The story goes like this. God looked at the world. And God saw that there was a brokenness in the world. God saw that the world was filled with selfishness and violence. And so God decided to heal that brokenness. God decided to put an end to the violence. And God tried all sorts of things. God even tried washing the world clean with a a terrible flood. But nothing worked. Nothing that God tried worked. After the flood went away, after the waters dried up, the people just went back to their same old selfish and violent ways. And God saw that the brokenness in this world would never be washed clean with water. God saw that the brokenness that that lives in this world lives deep down in the human heart. God saw that if the world was going to be healed, then the human heart would need to be healed. And that was going to take time. That was going to take more than 40 days. And so God comes up with a new plan. God says, I'm going to choose one family out of all the families on earth, and I'm going to walk with that family. I'm going to watch over that family from generation to generation. I'm going to teach them my ways until eventually salvation and healing will pour out into all the world through the members, through the grandchildren of this family. God looked at all the people in the world at that time, and God chose a man. God chose a man named Abram. Abram lived in the land of Aram with his wife Sarai. He was an Aramean. Abram and Sarai were an older couple. They'd never had any children. They always wanted to have kids. And God said to Abram, God said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. This is how it's going to be. If you leave your homeland, if you leave the only place you've ever lived, the only place you've ever known, and go to a new place that I will show you, I will make you the father of a great nation. And so Abram got up and he took Sarai and the two of them left. They left their home and they wandered. They became wandering Arameans. And and so the story goes that God gave them both new names. God called Abram, Abraham. God called Sarai, Sarah. And the two of them became wanderers in search of a new home. That's the story that they tell us in Sunday school. That's the story that Sunday school teachers like like to tell kids. You probably heard that story. The story about how Abram trusted in God. The story about Abraham's deep faith and deep confidence in God. But then there are stories about Abraham that your Sunday school teacher probably never told you. Stories like the one in this morning's scripture reading. So after Abraham and Sarah started wandering, they discovered that the road is a a dangerous and a scary place to be. They discovered that there were famines along the way. There were bandits and people who take advantage of travelers. They weren't welcome in every town and village that they passed through. Sometimes people looked at Abraham and Sarah with suspicion. Sometimes the local authorities caused them to to hurry on. And as they traveled and as they experienced danger and hardship, Abraham became a, a fearful man. Abraham became paranoid. He was especially fearful. He was especially worried about Sarah. Now, Sarah was, was an older woman, the Bible tells us, but even so, she was beautiful. She was exceptionally beautiful. And Abraham didn't like the way that people looked at Sarah as they traveled from place to place. Abraham was convinced that eventually Sarah's great beauty was going to get the two of them into trouble. And then the day comes when Abraham and Sarah are standing at the border of the land of Egypt. They're about to to enter the land of Egypt. 
Abraham knows that the, the land of Egypt is ruled over by a powerful Pharaoh, a man who is treated in the land of Egypt like a god on earth. Pharaoh's word is law. What Pharaoh wants, Pharaoh takes. Abraham also knows that Pharaoh has many wives and an eye for beautiful women, and he's always, always looking to add another beautiful woman to his harem. And as they're standing there at the border of the land of Egypt, Abraham suddenly fears this fear in his heart. And so he turns to Sarah and he, he does, he says this desperate thing. He says, Sarah, when we are in the land of Egypt, if people ask who we are, tell them that you're my sister. I'm afraid that if Pharaoh sees you, he's going to want to take you as his wife. And I'm afraid he, if he knows that you're married to me, he's going to want to make you a widow in order to do it. Abraham says, tell people, if anybody asks, tell them that you're my sister. And then they enter into the land of Egypt, and everything happens exactly the way that Abraham said it would. Pharaoh sees Sarah. He's struck by her beauty, and he decides to marry her. He takes her into his palace, and actually this whole thing works out really well for Abraham. Pharaoh, now that Abraham is Pharaoh's brother-in-law, Pharaoh gives Abraham uh, uh, donkeys and sheep and cattle and palaces and a place in, in the court. There's only really one way to say it. Abraham sells out Sarah in order to save his own neck and to, to get ahead in the world. It's not an easy story to read. Of course, it, it can't last. Everything eventually falls apart. And Pharaoh discovers the truth. And when he finds out that, that Abraham has tricked him, Pharaoh becomes furious and he orders Abraham and Sarah to leave the country, strips Abraham of the palaces and the titles and all of the things that he had given Abraham. And so they take off and they're wanderers again. They, they walk, walk off to another place. And maybe the worst part of this story, maybe the hardest, most difficult part of the story to read is what happens next. Abraham and Sarah wander for a little while until they come to another border. They come to another kingdom that's ruled over by a powerful king. And as they're standing there at that border, Abraham turns to Sarah and he says, So if anybody asks you who we are, tell them you're my sister. And the whole thing plays out over again. Over and over again, Abraham, the man who, who our Sunday school teachers told us was this towering hero of the Bible, the man who trusted and had confidence in God. Abraham, over and over again, sells out Sarah in order to save, to save his own neck. It's not an easy story to read. It's a difficult story to read. When we read this story, we see that, that Abraham is not necessarily who we always thought he was. Abraham is not some sort of a towering hero of legend. Abraham is a man. He's a man with fears, a man with weaknesses, a man with vulnerabilities, a man who struggled with the pressures of being a stranger in a foreign land, who discovered that it's difficult to be a stranger in a foreign land. And maybe that's exactly the point. I've always wondered if maybe that's not the reason that God told Abraham to leave his homeland in the first place. I always wondered if maybe God wanted Abraham to experience what it was like to be out on the road, to be vulnerable, to be afraid of powerful people, to be hungry, to go without. I always wondered if God wanted Abraham to have the experience of making difficult decisions and doing desperate things. So when Abraham finally settled in his own land, and he saw other people out on the road, and he saw other people in difficult decisions, making desperate decisions, he would respond with compassion and not condemnation. 
know, there's a beautiful moment that happens later in the Bible. Hundreds of years later, the great, 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 great grandchildren of Abraham, after hundreds of years of wandering, are finally about to enter into the promised land. But before they cross over the river, before they enter into the place that God has prepared for them, God has one last talk with the people, and God gives them a command. God says, listen, when you find yourselves in a pleasant place, when you find that you're in a land of milk and honey, when you find that you have food on your table and a, a roof over your head, when you find that you have the power to decide who gets to sit at the table and who gets to walk through the door, God said, get down on your knees and give thanks. And remember that your father was a wandering Aramean. Say the words, God says. Say, my father was a wandering Aramean. Remember who you are. Remember who your grandfather was. Remember where you came from. So when you see other people far away from home forced to do desperate things, when you see people crowding onto rafts and crowding onto boats, when you see people swimming across rivers with their children on their backs, when you see people doing whatever they have to do in order to cross that border and get to a place of safety, remember where you came from, and you'll know what to do. Let's pray. God, we pray. God, we pray that you would help us to remember where we came from. Help us to remember that we are the grandchildren of immigrants. Refugees, travelers, wandering Arameans. God, when we see other people lined up at borders with fear in their hearts, fear in their eyes, God, help us to remember where we came from and move us to compassion. These things we pray in Jesus. Amen.